Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always plenty of entertainment. I hope you are well and gearing up for the festive season. I must admit, I'm looking forward to getting some downtime over the coming weeks. It's been pretty hectic since I came home from the States and whilst I do love it and I'm extremely grateful for all the work and the opportunities afforded to me, I have to say I'm looking forward to taking a break from travel for a couple of weeks once we hit the middle of December. And I'm planning to embrace some festive fun at home and chill out. Although I probably won't sit still for too long, It will be all systems go once the new year kicks in and it's important to take a step back and take some time out every so often, so that is my plan. I also want to get out and about on my gravel bike a bit more. We had great fun at the Island 80 Women's Gravel Spin in Mayo a couple of weeks ago and there are a few gravel events coming up that I'm hoping to take part in. I finally managed to get back into the sea last week. It was Baltic. Such a shock to the system. The first 90 seconds were horrendous, but... Once I embraced the cold, it was quite enjoyable. I managed four minutes in skins. It's not great, but it wasn't bad either. Now I just need to start getting in more regularly. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into the 12 days of Christmas fitness challenge, which kicks off on December 1st. The free fun fitness challenge is always a great motivator to keep moving and provides plenty of accountability when the motivation to move is literally to move from the couch to the fridge. With over 250 people now signed up and lots of prizes to be won, be sure to check it out on the website www.trytalkingsport.com. In short, it runs from the 1st to the 25th of December and you commit to completing 12 hours of physical activity across the challenge period. It's not a big commitment, but add in the busyness of life as we move through the month of December and simply getting 30 minutes of your time for some physical activity can be a big challenge. So be sure to check this out, you won't regret it and you might even win a prize. Speaking of prizes, the Christmas Cracker promotion gets underway also on the 1st of December with a sleigh load full of great prizes to be won across our socials from products and race entries to bobble hats, gifts and lots more. Be sure to follow Try Talking Sport on Facebook and Instagram so you can check out all the prizes and the competitions. Be sure to sign up to our newsletter too. We have lots of offers and great information to share. You can sign up on the website. And speaking of offers, be sure to check out the great offers from our partners, Nuisan. You can get 10 euro off their best sellers gift set with the discount code TTSGIFT when purchasing online at www.nuisan.com. You can get 15% off all other products using the code TTS15 on the Nuisan website. These are fabulous products and they make the perfect treat for yourself or for someone else. Be sure to check them out. We should also have our bobble hats back in stock very soon too, so keep an eye on the socials. If you wish to purchase one of our hats, the perfect stocking filler. Cheeky plug there, really. Before we get into this week's episode, a quick request for race reports. As we build out the performance hub on the website, we'd love to share your experience of racing at home or abroad in a race report, sharing some of the highs and lows of training and racing. There are some super reports already on the site and we're looking to feature more. So if interested, please pop an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com and we can take it from there. You can check out the existing reports on www.trytalkingsport.com. Now let's get this week's episode underway with elite Irish triathlete Alva Carroll, the 2022 National Sprint Triathlon Champion. Some of her most notable results include Aquathon National Champion in 2018, Silver Medalist at the Sprint Distance National Championship and Olympic Distance National Championship in 2019. In the same year, she was 11th at the Elite Aquathon World Championship and finished 26th at the Hong Kong Asian Cup. Taking up triathlon at the age of 16, the now 31-year-old has successfully raced triathlon at home and abroad and despite a roller coaster she has been on in life and sport, she has picked herself up, dusted herself off and kept going when the going got tough. Battling physical and mental struggles with food and her health, it is a wonder she is still training and racing. However, she simply loves triathlon. It is part of her DNA as is sport. Grit, stubbornness, determination and passion are key attributes required for success in sport and Alva Carroll has all of this in abundance. Add in her positive outlook, her fun and bubbly personality and it's a great recipe for success. This episode provides a powerful insight into her life as an athlete and the struggles she faced with her health both in the past couple of years and also as she now recovers from two bike crashes in quick succession in recent weeks which ended her season prematurely. Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. 
Albert Carroll, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. I can see out in the back of your screen there that it is lovely and sunny in Girona. It is not as sunny in Galway. Mm, it might be a case of Instagram versus reality there now, Joanne, because it is kind of <laughs> it's kind of grey outside. But um, yes, it is probably a little bit brighter than what Ireland has to offer at the moment, for sure. So talk to me about living in Girona. What's that about? All the cool kids are over there. Yeah, all the cool kids and then me, you know, you have to follow the flag. <laughs> um, no, Girona life is cool. Um, Girona is a very special place. It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to describe what it gives you and kind of how you feel when you are there. But um, it is filled with very good cyclists and very good triathletes and very good runners and just very good humans in general. Um, so in terms of basing yourself um, in a place that gives you a lot and that you can get a lot from, Girona is probably a pretty good starting point. Um, the weather helps. It does get cold, contrary to belief. Um, it does. Winter does hit and yeah, you do have to wrap up and all those kind of things. But uh, the sun generally shines, which probably makes it a little bit easier to get out the door. So yeah, it's a pretty good place. So when you walk down the street to go for coffee, who are you like bumping into? Well, now, funny you should ask. So all of the big dogs generally don't like you don't really run into them unless maybe at the pool or like you might see them on the road or whatever. But um, in terms of like walking down the street in Ireland and waving across to who you might know, like that kind of thing doesn't really happen <laughs> so often. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you do rock up to the pool and you see, I mean, world champions and Olympic medalists just kind of hanging out, you know, it's um, yeah, it's pretty inspiring and a pretty motivational place to be in. That's pretty cool. How long have you been in Girona now? Oof, um, I have been here a year, a year and a half-ish. Um, so I moved over in the May of the pandemic, whatever that was. 20... 2021, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So I've been here a year and a half, yeah. I think we spoke, we did a Facebook Live during COVID, and I think it was March 2021, and I think you were just about getting ready. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that could be the case. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then it happened. So basically, I got the idea, and... Generally, with stuff like that, like if I get the idea in my head, I want to know yesterday what the plan is and I want to have already done the plan the day before. So within three weeks, I had a house sorted and we'd moved over and um, yeah, a different chapter of life began then. So yeah, within three weeks, we kind of made the decision and had popped over already. So I hear you're living with our Emma Porter now as well. So there's fierce development over there. Oh, there is Sherlock. Two Irish girls in the, in the one apartment now. The, the crack is mighty. Like, um, yeah, no, Emma's a good egg, so uh, a pretty good housemate to have. The last time I saw you, Alva, we were having lots of fun at the Triathlon Awards. It was about two weeks ago, there or thereabouts. But you were after having a bit of a nasty crash in Fuerteventura. Tell me about some of those injuries and how the healing is going. Yeah, so um, if we take a step back from the camp, so... The last week of October was the start of the camp and we are going to be in Fort Ventura for three weeks with um, the Irish squad. Um, however, six weeks before that, I had raced in um, Rosnamon, so the Irish yeah, women's tour of Ireland, essentially, and had a crash there on the third day where I kind of came down pretty heavy, uh, got my first concussion, um, experienced what all that was like and had basically taken five weeks to kind of find a little bit of normality again and I had basically had like a week worth of exercise before I went on the camp um so the camp was very much like a team bonding thing and um, there were some people going to Abu Dhabi happening very shortly um or probably after the fact that this is released um so there was a little bit of focus there for those people but then there were a chunk of people who were kind of coming back from injury and illness and so it was just kind of bringing everyone together and kind of creating that bond which was really nice um so going over there with only like a week worth of kind of exercise not even training um in my body was there wasn't so much fear or panic around it because there was a lot of people in the same situation um and we arrived over there on a Tuesday and uh, just kind of settled in that day and went for our first group ride on the Wednesday and we had a crash so we were 22 minutes into the spin and um yeah we decided we wanted to get to know the tarmac a little bit more than we knew it so we hit the deck uh, myself and, and so five of us came down I think we were maybe a group of I can't actually remember, maybe eight or 10. So not even a big group, like just a very normal sized group. Um, but there was just a little bit of gravel on the road that we didn't see. Um, a back wheel got caught in the gravel. And then we kind of came down like a, yeah, like a train. So five of us came down, myself and Russell White were the two kind of worst off of the group. Russell ended up breaking his elbow, which wasn't great because he had planned to race. At the end of the camp, he had a race set up, which would have been like 
his first kind of um, international race back after the kind of really hard year that he had. So that was really upsetting for him and kind of for everyone around him. Because, yeah, obviously everyone knows the struggles that he's been through um, this year with his illnesses and his injuries. So, yeah, that was quite sad. And then uh, I came down too. So I can't really tell you a lot about the crash because I can't actually remember it. Um, So I know I hit the ground pretty hard and I know that I was lying on the ground for the bones of an hour um, waiting for the ambulance to come and get myself and Russell to bring us to the hospital. But um, I can't really tell you. I didn't know I was lying on the ground for an hour. I was told all this. And um, yeah, when I was asked questions, when I hit the ground, like of where I was or what month of the year it was, um, I didn't know. So I for sure hit my head pretty hard, um, which having just had the concussion five or six weeks before was definitely a bit of a worrying time. Um, So yeah, myself and Russell were packed into the ambulance and we made our way to uh, check out the, the health services of Fort Ventura. And how are you now? How are you since it and how's your head? Um, so my head is actually the day after the crash, I was not feeling wonderful. Um, so I spent the day in bed there. I had a very weird reaction in terms of, I just had no, or at least weird for me, it's probably normal for a lot of people, but I just had no appetite at all. So I actually didn't eat for like two full days. I just couldn't handle the thought of food. Like I was so nauseous thinking about it. So I just let my body do what it needs to do and uh, recover in that regard. But um, my ribs were what were really sore after the crash. And I've never hurt my ribs before, bruised or broken. I've never done anything to them. Um, but the pain was so bad that I was just convinced that they were broken, you know. So when I went to the hospital, they x-rayed me. The x-ray came back clear. I did not believe them for a second. And um I was actually, oh God, this is a funny story. It might not come across too well in the podcast, but if I demonstrate to you visually, so I was lying down in a bed, right, in the in the um, hospital and she came in and she was like, okay, we've read the x-ray, it's clear. And I was like, there's no way, like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah. And then she like grabbed the back of the bed and like put me from like lying down to like jerked me up to like sitting. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> ow. And she was like, oh, sorry. And I was like, ow. And then she was like, oh, oh. And then she like laid me back down. And I was like, oh my God, well, if they were broken before the x-ray, they're for sure broken. Now. <laughs> like, Ow, like this is so painful. Um, and at that point they hadn't administered administered me like any painkillers or anything. Um, Russell had had his and I was just kind of lying there left to fend for myself. So um, yeah, my ribs were really sore and had it not actually been for Russell being there, who was like, can you get my friend um, some painkillers, please? Um, I'd probably just have walked out with no pain relief at all. And also they weren't really that fussed on checking my head and kind of Russell kept reminding them every time they came in, you know, like she's just hit her head a few weeks ago. Like, can you please check it? And they're like, oh no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, So yeah, my ribs are very sore. My head sorted itself out after a few days, which was good. Um, But yeah, for sure, two concussions that close together, uh, 10 out of 10, do not recommend to a friend. Come back and talk to me about the concussion after Ross Naman. How did you deal with that? We know rugby players and team sports, there can be quite a lot of concussion. And um, we haven't actually spoken about it on the podcast at all, I don't think, with anybody. Um, so talk to me what your experience was like and what sort of protocols did you maybe have to put in place to recover or or what what happens now or next? Or I really yeah. don't know about concussion, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't either, to be honest. And I for sure did not respect it. Um as much as it needs respect um yeah I'm for sure not a doctor so I don't know any of the medical stuff around it but uh what I experienced was not pleasant um my so my head must have taken a really big bang after the first one because um for like the first six days after the crash I was I was bed bound like I got out of bed on the sixth day to go down and have a cup of tea outside of my room you know um decaf because I couldn't handle the caffeine because my brain was just not a fan of that um but I couldn't move my head or my eyes or like do anything to the right of myself um, without feeling like extremely woozy and nauseous and like the whole room was spinning. Um, And if I did get into that state where the room started spinning, it took me so long to be able to like center myself again and like not feel like I was going to fall off the cliff. So that was really unpleasant. And for the first two days after the crash, I actually slept for three days after the crash. I slept 16 hours, 14 hours and 12 hours in those first three days. The first day I had three two hour naps and like woke up every time and was ready to nap again, you know, Um, so it was pretty wild. There are different protocols out there in terms of what you can do or should do. 
um, if you do suffer a concussion, but the one that we were kind of working off was um, the rugby one, which is quite rigid. And um, they say that you shouldn't do anything for around 30 days or a month after um, you suffer the concussion. Obviously, doing nothing is not really part of my who I am. Uh, so I was going for walks and as the walks felt better, I started like a 10 minute, 15 minute jog here and there. And we were basically, so myself and my coach, Drew Box, he was obviously not in Ireland at the time, but he was away, but we were in contact every day. And basically, if something felt like it was a step too far or I was getting dizzy from it, we'd stop immediately and then take the day off after and then kind of allow the body to recover and then go again. Um, But basically for like the five weeks after, like I just built up from nothing to a little bit of exercise. And then the week before we went on camp, which would have been the sixth week, I had kind of got like a full week of exercise. And I was like, oh, okay, like I'm starting to feel a bit better. Like going on the camp for this bonding experience would be really nice and blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, day one, well, day one after travel, um, I hit the deck again. So, yeah, my role on camp went from athlete to kind of um, kind of standing coach, kind of support, um, all those kind of things. And the same for Russell so we both found putting our energy into different things on camp was quite nice and we were able to give back and kind of give some of our experience to other people um on the camp which was really rewarding um and it was just a nice way to still feel um part of the group you know so that in itself was like a silver lining and something unexpected but um yeah it's it's been it, it was a nice experience in, in that in that regard Funny, I see you smiling at me there when you start talking and thinking back about the uh, the coaching piece uh, at the camp that it was, mm-hmm. you know, giving back and stuff. And I know that you're mm-hmm. currently studying. You have got various qualifications, both third level qualifications, but also the high performance uh, coaching pathway as well with Triathlon Ireland. Um, talk to me a little bit about that before we go back to talk about your original start in the sport. Yeah, um, I mean, coaching for me is, as much as being an athlete is a passion and a huge part of my life, like coaching and helping others in that regard is also very much um, up there in terms of in terms of my passions. Um, so, I mean, I'm probably speaking on Russell's behalf, but like he also kind of just fell into that role and was very natural at it. Um, and so the two of us were kind of able to bounce off each other and use the group that we know so well as athletes and kind of sneak in that way. But um, I mean, over the past number of years, I've done a lot of a lot of coaching and one-to-one sessions or group sessions and um I've done that in all the different countries that I that I've lived in with like different uh levels of athletes and different groups um but I was very fortunate during COVID to be part of um one of the women in sport programs that Triathlon Ireland had run for female coaches who were kind of looking to get into high performance um coaching down the line or into that environment um so that was like a year-long program that I did with kind of monthly webinars and lots of things like that and there was like loads of support through that and all the coaches that kind of did it um you know we had each other to kind of bounce off and and be supportive with um and it wasn't just triathlon that did it you know there was other uh ngbs in there as well so there was swimming and cycling and um rowing and i can't even remember i have hit my head so you'll have to forgive my lapse in in uh, memory but um it was a very good course to go kind of go through and you know, like a lot of the um, coaching courses out there in the world at the moment are very much like based on the technical aspect of of coaching. Whereas, yes, those skills are important. Of course, you can't coach without actually knowing what you're doing. But in terms of like being able to actually relate to people and create those relationships with people where your athletes feel secure and they feel safe and they feel like they can talk to you, like they're kind of skills that this course gave you and they made you think about your coaching and how you coach really differently so there was just like a lot of outside of the box kind of thinking and yes it was very relevant to you as a coach but it also made us think about ourselves as like humans and like how we interact in the world and how we want people to perceive us and like yeah just the kind of the general like portrayal that we put out there of ourselves um so yeah it was it was a very worthwhile year-long adventure um and I gained a lot from it so I guess I've taken some of that forward with me and it was kind of nice to be able to put that into practice on camp unexpectedly. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's good that that knowledge wasn't completely wiped out of my brain with the double head hit. So yeah, it was good. <laughs> I'm laughing at you here, the double head hit. You say it like it's a it's a big joke, but it's obviously, uh, you know, it's it's not a big joke. It, it's a big deal. And, and um, 
you know, hopefully it won't have any long term repercussions for you as you get back uh, into the sport. Let's go back a little bit and talk about your background in sport. A camogie player. You could have been a basketball player, according to your grandmother, because uh, at the age of two, maybe, was it that she said you were tall enough to be a basketball player, but you went down the route of uh, county camogie player and also horse riding? Yeah, um, a very non-traditional route into triathlon for sure. Um, But yeah, when I was two, I somehow had the strength of like a 22-year-old, my granny would say, and I had gone into the garage and picked up two full tins of paint. And uh, I was just like walking up and down the back garden in granny's house. um, And she decided that my arms were long enough uh, based on the carrying of the paint pots to be a basketball player. Was your granny into basketball? No, I mean, basketball's not even, Granny's about two foot tall, like there's no way she... <laughs> why, why from carrying the paint cans did she think you'd be good at basketball? Would you not be like good at like weightlifting or or something like that? I don't know. I don't know, like maybe Granny's knowledge of the sports available in the world isn't extensive enough, but... um. Maybe that's true. Yeah, who knows, but... Well, uh, she, yeah. she pitched it first that you would be an athlete maybe, so she was right. Right, this is true, this is true. Um, yeah, she knew more than I knew at that at that age. Um, but yeah, basketball was not in my future, but I did start with camogie and then I ventured into horse riding, had um, two of my own horses for a few years and um, yeah, just literally came across triathlon one day on the internet, the dial-up internet back then, you know. Um, and You're not that like, old, oh, Alva. You're only oh, one. I, <laughs> I do remember dial-up. <laughs> Well, I suppose you are from the middle of the country as well. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not a reflection of my age, but just um, the level of countryside that I live in. <laughs> yeah, so horses and then saw triathlon. Um, didn't have a bike. Had like I learned to swim as a kid, but I hadn't like swam in a club or anything like that. Um, but I just took an ocean and we bought a 250-pound bike. And um, off away I went on my adventure. And here I am a, a few short years later yeah it's about a decade later Alva it is about that Joanne but I hit my head twice so it feels like yesterday you know <laughs> how many times will Alva say she hit her head twice in the next 40 minutes I have to keep reminding myself should I forget <laughs> okay oh, so let's go talk about some serious stuff but you have had an incredible journey in sport you didn't just pick up the bike and head off into the world of triathlon you've put an awful lot of work into it you were swimming running biking talk to us about how you ended up as an elite Irish triathlete um well I always say that I'm for sure not as naturally gifted as a lot of people in the sport at this level um and I feel like I've had to work very hard to have that like where most people might take like time off the sport and then come back into it after a season break they'll be at a given level I feel like for their given level which is like the bottom of their season I have to work to get there um and I've I've always felt that that's kind of the way um and I mean that could be for a multitude of reasons um but for sure I don't have the background in the sport that a lot of people do in any one of the three so having to work a little bit harder to get to that kind of base level was always a thing always a challenge but that's fine I basically I don't know when I started in the sport like I I just loved it like I wanted it to be a part of me and a part of my life um or I wanted to be a part of triathlon more so and so my goals and my ambitions were were quite high from from the start there's absolutely no endurance sport in my family whatsoever like dad played rugby the lads played football and, and hurling and we're a very musical family growing up. So in terms of like, can't see, can't be type thing, like that wasn't ever an issue. I was just like, oh, well, I'll just give it a go and see what happens, Um, which is kind of a nicely naive place to come from because I probably didn't know how actually hard it could be. Um, But I mean, the journey has been fun. It's taken me from Limerick, where it all kind of started um, when I was at university there doing my undergrad to Loughborough in the UK for a few years, back to Ireland, and now over to Girona. Um, I did my co-op year in New Zealand um, in my undergrad, so I've kind of been everywhere, um, and I've brought the sport with me uh, everywhere I've gone. Um, It's not been all sunshine and roses. There has been ups and downs, of course, like everyone, and some of mine were quite low um, in terms of um, maybe like the the headspace that I got into probably from taking it a little bit too seriously 
too early on almost um not that there's ever a good time to take it too seriously but I probably didn't have the maturity or the skill set the mental skill set to deal with um what was going on in my head at that time and there were for sure some lows and then in terms of the physical lows like I have also been uh, a culprit of trying to fit into a certain um body type or that I feel I need to be a certain body type and therefore I've underfueled massively and I've uh, experienced all the negative side effects that can come with that um in terms of injuries and illnesses and um missing three years of international competition because of it so yes I've experienced highs the lows mentally and physically and I can still wholeheartedly say that I probably wouldn't change a single thing because I wouldn't be who I am um today and I probably wouldn't be as strong as what I am mentally um had I not gone through all that so I think sport like <laughs> sport's amazing in terms of a lot of different things but like how it shapes you as a person um is massive and I think a lot of people can forget or aren't even aware that behind every athlete is a person and that person is what continues to live on after the sporting career is done and if that person doesn't come out of the sporting adventure as a kind of all-round wholesome person then there's going to be a little bit of trouble probably for them um so I think it's really important to take everything you can from your sporting journey and make sure that it stands to you once your career is over. Um, and yeah, I just think that I've probably gained a lot in that regard and in that respect. And um, I'm pretty hopeful that I can be a good person at the end of all this. <laughs> if you remember to be a good person. because Right, I have hit my head twice. Yeah. <laughs> so we're about to get into talking about a very serious topic and all we're doing is joking. You mentioned there about the the pressure to fit into a certain body type. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've you've documented um, through your social media, through other podcasts. We had a chat about it last year as well um, about this whole area of underfueling and what it did to your body. For the listeners who aren't aware of your story, Alva, will you briefly just give us an insight into what actually happened, how it happened? and maybe how you managed to come out the other side of it. So for sure, not a short-term thing. It was, uh, yeah, back-to-back, back-to-back, back-to-back years of struggle. Um, but I think I so I basically moved back from the UK to Ireland, and I had a new setup, and I was very excited and motivated by the setup. Um, I wanted to give it the best that I possibly could and leave no stone unturned. Um probably got into my head a little bit more than I needed to and kind of let the environment that I was in seep into my head a little bit too much as well um so I just tried to drop weight as quickly as I could basically and as dramatically and unhealthily as I could within a few months of being back to Ireland so I moved back in maybe the July no that's a lie I moved back in and I think it was the July actually early July um and I had pretty much gone cold turkey with food um very very quickly into my move back and I basically like lost my period within a month or two of been back and I dropped um, four or five kgs probably in that time as well so everything was like rapid um my body's response was obviously to shut down the um the, the processes that should happen so my period stopped um yeah as a form of like protecting myself I knew it wasn't a good thing to lose my period but at the same time I knew that the scales was going down so I was more motivated by that than thinking about my health um which kind of stems back to what I said earlier about being that kind of whole-rounded person and knowing right from wrong in those kind of regards um so yeah I kind of just let the motivation of dropping weight and being as quick as I could um take over uh where I should have been really focused on my health but um I went to Asia to race in the October of that year and I was over there for 10 days I had bookended the uh, trip with a race either side Um, one was in Hong Kong and one was in Tongyang which is in South Korea and I basically went over there uh, raced okay-ish not wonderful but like I had just started with a new coach and that was all taking time so whatever that was fine but I came back 10 kgs heavier than what I went out which was a little bit um, mind-blowing because 10 kgs in 10 days is almost like I'm pretty sure it is impossible um in terms of it being actual weight um 
my brain didn't quite draw any logical reasoning to as to how that could have happened um and I just thought it was me that had done wrong and I had eaten too much even though I was just eating normally sorry normally for me at the time which was nothing um when you say nothing Elva sorry like what what were, were you restricting calories were you you know were you were you doing intermittent fasting were you just not eating or how were you fueling your body um well I wasn't fueling it full stop but um like I had restricted so the real restrictions and the real everything kind of came after this trip because I had gained the 10 kgs and I was like oh my gosh like this is this needs to go like I need to get back to where I was so like the real cutthroat stuff came after the Asian trip um but before then like I wasn't counting calories before then but I do remember just kind of living on like soup and salads and not really thinking about it just been like oh it's fine I feel fine and then after the trip obviously blaming myself for a lot of what had happened um even though a year and a half later I found out that I had actually picked up two parasites um, that were sitting in my system causing havoc so that might have been from the open water or it could have just been from something that I ate weird in Asia I don't know um we'll never actually be able to trace it back to exactly where it came from or how I got it but for sure I had two of them and that alongside my then like lack of eating enough um my body was just in so much distress that it uh was having none of it so um I couldn't figure out how to rectify the situation and so I just kept cutting calories and cook cutting calories and I had come down to 1200 calories as like a staple um even though I was training like upwards of 20 hours a week and instead of dropping weight I was holding weight or I was gaining it or just at the opposite of everything that I thought would happen um and then there was a lot been questioned of me well you're clearly not eating what you're saying you're eating because you're putting weight on and so I'd eat less and then um yeah like the extent of it at that point was like 30 grams of oats for breakfast but I'd have that after I had done two sessions that day having stopped eating the day before at like four or five and then I'd have lettuce and chicken for um lunch out of lettuce and chicken for dinner sometimes I'd swap out chicken for falafel but that was like on a really special day um and then my treat which I rewarded myself with or awarded myself with was um a fulfill protein bar um because it was as close to chocolate as I could get but I also knew I was getting protein from it so um in order not to fully break down I knew I needed protein in some regards so um yeah that was the extent of my day um and then when nothing was happening I went into crisis management again and I thought well if I have like one week of absolutely shocking intake maybe that'll like shock my body into changing or like just spice things up a bit so there was a full week where I had less than 500 calories for seven days in a row um to just to try something um to see if that would help and obviously it didn't help and obviously the whole way through this like my mood was like yeah your mood is going to be as good as it can be when you're not getting enough and you're already tired from training and so on but um yeah through this particular time it was quite bad um but only ever behind closed doors you know like I put on a front when I was in the group or when I was yeah talking or at work or whatever that was fine Did, did nobody know you were doing this um no it was known um yeah it was known within the group for sure um and actually to be fair to Emma I remember telling her one day on a ride like I've I've gone a bit drastic here because I I feel really comfortable around Emma like she's good I, you know, I know I can tell her something and it won't go anywhere you know but I do remember telling her on a ride one day um she had been away for a few weeks she came back and she was like she could see that I had dropped weight at this particular time um so this was before the body kind of went into distress but I remember telling her that I'd gone drastic in what I was doing and she just looked at me and she's like, Alva, be careful. Like, don't do this to yourself. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. So to be fair to her, she did try and knock it down and and, and shut it down. But um, yeah, at that point, motivation and drive to to drop weight and to get to where I was told I needed to get to far outweighed anything in terms of um, looking after my health or listening to a very wise friend. Was it all consuming thinking about food? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've never experienced anything like it before. Um, I wish I, I wish I had pulled myself out of it a lot sooner. Um, but 
I mean, I've only, I only had a year and a half of it. Like people go through this for so much longer than I went through it. Um, and of course, people react differently to me too, in terms of like, they see the initial weight drop, they become so underweight that their body goes into distress that way. Whereas my body just went the complete opposite way. Um, and there's a whole host of different problems that come with either end of the spectrum, obviously. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just a wild experience, but there was never a time where I just wasn't thinking about food or weight or whatever. And, you know, like there was a bit of a, you can race when you're this weight um, and only then can you race. And so there was a pressure externally, but then obviously when that goes internal and it escalates, um, it just becomes a hell of a lot worse. So yeah, it was a difficult time, but as I say earlier, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be who I am. And off the back of that, I did, because I do coach, um, I wanted to broaden my knowledge. And I just decided during the pandemic that if I'm to be a good coach or just have a few more strings to my bow, doing a master's in sports nutrition would probably benefit me an awful lot down the line, um, which will therefore benefit who I work with. So I feel like there's, you know, nutrition isn't like a protected um, title or role like the way a dietitian is it's slightly different so you can just do a, a nutrition course online like for six weeks and then you can go away and you know administer programs so it's not protected in that regard but there are so many coaches out there who give advice nothing scientific or whatever but they give advice on maybe how they uh, fueled or didn't fuel when they were younger and people just take that as gospel because it's coming from their coach and the person that they trust and there's just so many people that fall into uh, deep dark holes listening to that advice so basically I was like okay I'm going to go educate myself I'm going to be able to provide information to younger girls to younger boys whoever I end up working with in the future and in theory they should be listening to me because if they trust me in a coaching role then they'll trust where I'm coming from in this regard and if I can yeah if I can save a few people from going down that route then job done. I've just made notes there while you were talking um, and one of the words was education and the importance of education for young athletes, male or female. Um, you know, as they're coming through their programs, as they're coming through their clubs, it's not just about hitting them in their teens. It's actually about educating them from a really young age across all sports, really, about the yeah. importance of fueling and and nutrition. Yeah, 100 percent. And it's actually like when I was in the UK for five years, I worked on a program um which I'm almost jealous of they have a program over there which uh 16 to 19 year olds who are deemed to be world-class or have the potential to be world-class in their given sport are invited onto this program and they go through it's like a year and a half and they do it alongside their their school um and they're basically like they're educated in how to be an athlete and a human from a very young age so like they'll do modules and stuff like finance health and safety nutrition psychology all these different things that like feed into how they should conduct themselves as an athlete but as a person and then when the two come together they're like fully rounded because they head off to university having done this in their you know their school years um, and they just hit the ground running like knowing how to manage your finances when you go to university for the first time but they've already done that for like a year and a half and they know how it works and what they should be looking for and what should be in place and the nutrition module was like they get a one-to-one -one with a nutritionist during the camp so basically it's all done remotely but then there are camps throughout the year where they come together as a group and they get to sit down with their nutritionist and with their psychologist one-to-one -one, and they learn all this from like the age of 16 it's literally just being it's being offered to them from such a young age that when they do come to like break out of the under 23 ranks or whatever it might be, they're already conducting themselves as senior athletes because this program has just nailed in all the basics. And that is something that is really like having worked on the program and delivered it and seen the effects that it can have. I'm very jealous in a way that I didn't have that as a kid or that people in Irish sport didn't have that at that age. Um, and just being able to put those kind of pathways in place um within Irish sport would be um yeah that'd be kind of a passion project to be honest down the line because I think yeah just educating them empowering them to be able to stand on their own two feet and make wise decisions on the hop like that's inval invaluable in my opinion 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, coming back to your own situation, Alva, how did you bring yourself out of the rut? How did you manage to get those parasites under control or out of your system? And, you know, what, what was the charting of that journey like? I'm probably one of very few people in the world who will uh, have enjoyed the pandemic um, in terms of the lockdowns, because this all happened at that time. And actually, the the first lockdown coincided with like the height of my anxiety um, around all those things. And I would never really have described myself as too anxious a person before this kind of journey, but uh, put me in a situation where I'm uncomfortable now and I will sweat. Just that's my body's reaction. I'm just so anxious and nervous within myself around certain social situations that I never had before. And I think a lot of it stems from just being so uncomfortable in myself um, for such a long time. Um, so when COVID hit and we were only kind of allowed out like once a week to do the shopping or whatever, like it gave me a lot of time to just sit with myself and with my thoughts and kind of um, try and heal in that regard. Um, I was lucky that I had gone and found a woman down in Limerick before um, COVID hit. Uh, so it would have been like early February, I think. And she had done the tests on me. Andrea Cullen is her name. She had done yeah different tests with me and this is how we found out I had the parasites. And so she was actually able to prescribe me like a program of stuff that I needed to take to like get rid of the parasites internally and kind of just flush out my system. Um, so that all happened basically in that uh, March time in 2020. Um, and I, I mean, I was able to not train also just to kind of let the body not be under any form of stress whatsoever. Um, I mean, if I felt like doing something, I would do something. But generally, I kind of just sat there and really recovered um, alongside working, obviously. But it was a wild adventure. And um, it wasn't really until the following year when I moved over here. Um, so like the March of 2020 to the May of 2021, like that was like the first kind of point turning point where I felt like, oh, my body is actually starting to come to life here. Like I feel somewhat normal again. And throughout that year, I I was just never, I was, I was not myself, first of all, but like I was never really ready to try again until we came out here um and then yeah the May of 2021 I kind of felt I can do this new kind of chapter like go out to Girona see what happens and I just started training and feeling really good again and my body was naturally just getting back to the size and shape and form that it used to have without me even doing anything other than eating a heck of a lot of food and um, and that for me was like enough that everything had settled and my hormones were all back to normal and all those kind of things because my body was actually doing what I was asking of it um in a very natural way so um yeah it, it was a long journey uh but we got there in the end <laughs> you know we often talk to athletes about the importance of self-belief and and believing that you can do things or be things or you know I spoke to Craig Alexander and the importance of you know believing that you can be a world champion but one of the things that we never really touch on is self-love so do you now love your body do you now love how you feel is there still a bit of work to go there? I mean, you you are incredible. You have some fantastic results. You are amazing. Um, you know, so do you have the self-belief now that you deserve to have the self-love? Honestly, no, would be the short and simple answer. Um, I've come a hell of a lot further from the point of really not being there. But um, I think the world of high-performance sport is... It's a cutthroat type world. It's not for everyone. Um, there is a lot of self-doubt for a lot of people. Um, some show it differently to others, uh, for sure. But, I mean, there's always doubt. Um, it might be more doubt around your ability or if you're good enough or if you're worthy of the opportunity to, opportunity to even try rather than like a self-hate or a, safe, a self-love type thing. But, um for sure, no, I'm not there 100% yet. Um, but I actually saw Russell actually sent me a quote uh, not that long ago. And it was like, some, I can't remember what the exact wording on it was, but it was like, you spend a lot of your time self-doubting where there are a lot of people intimidated by your potential. And it really hit me. And I was like, wow, like, that's really interesting. Like, 
so many of us um, in the world of high performance, like we all want, we all have big goals. We all want the best out of ourselves. We all want to be the best that we can be. But like, there's a lot of self-doubt in there and can I do it? And I've seen glimpses of it in the past, but will I ever get back to there or whatever? And actually right now, after the two crashes, like I'm at the bottom of the rung of the ladder in terms of fitness levels and like where I think I can, uh, or how how I feel um, when I am exercising at the moment um, rather than training. And there is a lot of self-doubt around that. Like, will I ever get back to how I feel, how I felt, sorry, a few months ago, um, where that's like the best I've ever felt. Like, can I get back there again? And um, it's weird. It's a weird dynamic because I'm like super grateful that my body was able to heal. And I'm super grateful that my head was able to heal to a certain degree. But for sure, there is more room to grow in that area. And, And there always is. Like, I don't even think like there's nobody who can sit there and say, 100% I'm good to go like everyone can grow and everyone can develop from where they are but um yeah having gone through that experience it's made me think an awful lot about who I am and how I am and yes I'm thankful that my body was strong enough to come out of it and that my head was strong enough to get my body out of it but there's for sure still more love to be given I think and what do you think is the biggest lesson you learned from that experience around the food, the restriction, the mental blocks you were putting on yourself, um, the pressure you were putting on yourself to perform and in, in both in training, racing and with food? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I'm not. I, yeah, that's a big question. I'm not sure if it's like the number one or whatever, but the first thing that jumps into my mind is ironically to trust your gut um I know mine was riddled with bloody parasites but um trusting your gut like from from the offset I knew myself enough to know that it wasn't what I was eating that was causing the issues in terms of I'd come back so much heavier than what I went out I knew there was something internally wrong but I wasn't heard when I said that um And then I started doubting myself because I was like, well, if I'm being told I'm wrong and it is something that I'm doing, it must be. Whereas deep down, I knew I knew there was something, but I didn't trust myself or back myself enough to follow on that. So I think in terms of backing yourself and trusting your gut and making sure that you're heard when you talk is really important. Yes, that can be surrounding yourself with the right people that will listen to you. But if you're in a situation where you're not heard, don't give up on getting your point across because if something's not sitting right with you internally, if something doesn't like sit in your gut, then there is something to be talked about there or to be explored more because you know you better than anyone else knows you. Like you've been with yourself since day one. Like you literally spent the most time with yourself than anyone else has. So therefore, if there's anyone who knows you, it's you. So I would, yeah, I would probably go with that answer. Like just backing yourself more and following through on what your gut is actually is actually telling you. And I think that's a great answer for every aspect of life, whether yeah. you're an athlete or whether it's to do with food or whether it's to do with your health or whatever it is that you trust your gut and you are right. Like we know ourselves better than we know anybody else. Yeah. Um, in terms of your education and what you're doing now in terms of your master's, your undergrad, how has the learning and your current studying I suppose impacted your own experience with food and your healing after what you've gone through um yeah it's actually been a bit wild to be honest because although I knew I was under fueling massively at the time I didn't actually know to what extent um and now that I understand the science and the everything behind it I'm like wow the level of like jump up that I need that I needed to go through um from under fueling to fueling properly um was huge so taking that forward into how I want to coach um, in the future is going to be pivotal, I think, in how I do coach and conduct myself as a coach. But even like for me now as an athlete, like I'm quite an overthinker at times. Um, and actually, I found myself getting into a little bit of a spiral, like sometimes that I almost have too much information in my head around this. And I'm like, oh, am I feeling properly or have I underfeel that? Or maybe that's why I got sick or Uh, whatever and that can actually be a bad thing at times you know like sometimes it is actually quite good just to be a little bit numb in in your head you know and have nothing there and just go out and send it like 
that's a great thing in itself. Alva, I can't imagine you or I ever having nothing in our heads. No, there's way too many. Do you yourself all the time as well? Yeah, girl, I do, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I can't remember a time when there was nothing in my head. No, me neither. No, even my dreams are wild. Like... might keep that for another podcast yeah true 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 um but yeah I mean there is a time and a place for an empty head and a and an active head um but yeah it's informed a lot of my fueling decisions over the last year um which has probably coincided with my best year in terms of like the level I've gotten to training wise um I obviously didn't get to quite race and show any of that um other than the national champs at home and one French Grand Prix. Um, but yeah, the crash then crashes, sorry, um, put an end to the season. So that kind of uh hampered that a little bit. But in terms of actually how I ever felt in training or how I was fueling everything that I was doing, it was worlds apart from what I've ever done before. And that was a big step forward. You were actually going really well in Ross Le Mans as well, um, in terms of cycling. So you were after winning the national sprint championships at Dublin City Triathlon. Why mm-hmm. the decision then to switch across to cycling, or was that something that was always on the cards? So during the year, I had come home for one of my friend's weddings, um, which was the end of June, and the Nuri three-day bike race was on like the first of July. And so when I was at home, I was like, oh, sure, I'll, you know, make it a, a good trip home. I'll have the wedding and then I'll go up and do three day and it'll be really nice just to kind of test the legs and see where I am. Because I knew that I was going up um, to Font Rameau on an altitude camp at the end of July. So I was like, let's get a little kind of hit out over the three days, settle, go up, get a good five weeks up there. And then I'll come down for National Sprint Champs. And so that's what I did. And then off the back of Newry, I just had so much fun. I was like, ah, oh, like Rossman would be really good. Like the standard there would be way higher. I'll really find out how to like ride in a group. Like, like it's all well and good being able to push watts on a bike, but on, on in our style of racing, which is draft legal, like unless you actually know how to ride the group or where to sit or block from the wind or whose wheel to follow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it doesn't matter what watts you can push because you're probably going to lose the group anyway. So I was like, I'm going to go there, learn how to handle a bike, learn how to ride the group, etc. Um, so it was on the cards in that regard. I went up to Van first time at altitude, had an experience, um, learned a hell of a lot up there, um, banked some really good sessions, came down, felt really good on National Sprint Champs Day, got in a two-woman breakaway there with one of the Swiss girls, Estelle, and that kind of, yeah, afforded me the the title, which was something that I've been hunting for a while so it was quite nice to actually have that and, and get that and my parents and my brother who actually lives in the UK he just happened to be over that weekend with his wife so um yeah we had a real kind of family affair that day which was really special so that was nice the following week after that I went to France to race a French Grand Prix I had my best result in a French Grand Prix ever then and I felt really good Um, I was like sixth out of the water which is yeah a very good swim in 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 that type of field and I was really happy with where I was going and then it was the week after that then was Ross Naman which I had the first crash and then that actually ended up ending the season just because the concussion was so bad so there were still like four races that I had on schedule that I wanted to do and go have a a time to dance but uh the dance never happened so I'll just have to wait till next year to get dancing again and probably important to take a bit of time off as well and just let your body really come back from that initial concussion yeah like yeah I mean I after the two crashes now I'm this is like the week nine or ten I think so it's basically two and a half months since the first crash but although I've had all of that time off essentially like I have been exercising intermittently in there but like mentally I haven't had that like ah go on a holiday and switch off you know it's been like ah let's try get back as healthily and as well as we can after such a kind of traumatic two and a half months but I guess the toll mentally I don't know like I've I've I have a head cold at the moment that I've had for the last two days so maybe you know maybe this time off now allowing my ribs to heal and the the head cold to pass will just give me some time to actually switch off and kind of yeah actually take a break and um all the things that come with that but it is quite hard like it's hard mentally to switch off when I have literally been off for so long um, because all I want to do is get back and feel like I can climb the stairs without being out of breath again, you know? So um, yeah, it's, it's a weird dynamic. 
When you look back at your younger days, when you were playing camogie, you know, horse riding, did you always know you wanted to be an athlete or was there aspirations for other adventures or careers? Mm, I think maybe once I was 16 or 17, I think sport was it for me then. Like I grew up in a house, like a sport mad house, like two older brothers, you know, um, I wanted to be like them and and, and be sporty. Um, so I think for sure it was always in my in my DNA or in my thought process from an early age. But in terms of actually trying to make something of it, like at a good level, um, that probably really only kicked off maybe in university kind of age. But I also like, so I did sports science as my undergrad, which had like a coaching element in it as well. And like, I did enjoy that. Like, and my mother is a, was a primary school teacher. So maybe that kind of teaching or coaching or sharing knowledge type um, genetics has been there for a long time. But yeah, I think coaching and the athlete life were probably there from, you know, around that 18, 19 kind of age for, for sure. So what's the plan for 2023 then? World domination. I mean, that is, that is just taken as a given, Alva. I, mean, I would think nothing less. Yeah. Um, 2023. Well, I need to get healthy in the end of 2022 anyway to try and hit the ground running in 2023. But um, last year was like my first year back racing after the three years of sitting out. Um, and that didn't quite go to plan. Like I only got like, what, two races in. So it wasn't it wasn't really the kind of, kick back into the ITU racing calendar that I wanted so I guess I'll kind of have to restart that again um in 2023 and try and go and race those kind of lower level um continental cups and string a few results together and hopefully move up the rankings into the kind of European world cups and so on I mean honestly like I just want to do what I know I can do you know like you talk about like self-doubt or like backing yourself or whatever but like yes there is elements of self-doubt of course there is but I wouldn't still be here trying to do good things with myself if I didn't believe somewhere inside that there was something you know that there was something there yeah like I'm very fortunate in Girona that my coach so Drew Box is my coach an Australian um coach ex-athlete um he coaches alongside Joel Filial and so being here I'm very fortunate that I get to join in with that group on a daily basis um so I'm literally training and living around some of the best athletes in the world and that shines through you know and how you like I'll I'll be taking in a whole host of information that I don't even know I'm taking in at the time but then when it comes to like applying something or making a decision on the hop I'll probably use that experience from training that I've learned from those top guys and girls and apply that and that's massive so I would like to take that with me into 2023 and be able to tackle those races and training scenarios maturely and uh, with a little bit of class. So, um, yeah, 2023 is exciting in loads of different ways, but I think getting a full season strung together would be nice. Um, Ironically, that was my goal for this season. And I remember saying that with Drew, like, I don't have any, like, I have no particular race results or race anything that I want to get but I would like to be able to finish the season saying that I'd strung a full season together without being injured or sick lol to that uh with the with the double head hit um but yes hopefully 2023 can afford me the opportunity to do that I have a couple of audience questions I want to get into before we finish the show. It's been quite a deep podcast in terms of the topics that we've been discussing around um, fueling and health and things like that. So I'm going to just randomly do a couple of rapid fire round questions that I've literally just written down. Um, Favourite go-to breakfast now? Porridge. Always porridge. Sorry. Mm -mm. Not Cocoa Pops, no? No. Well, it depends on the session that follows. If there's a hard session, I'll lace into the Cocoa Pops, but porridge is number one. Do you get nervous racing and what do you do to calm the nerves? Um, yes, short answer. Not as much as I used to, but um, I don't know what I do to... I talk. I talk a lot. <laughs> to calm the you nerves. always nervous then? <laughs> always. <laughs> what race would you like to most win? Oof. If you'd asked me this before National Jams, it probably would have been that because it kept eluding me. But um, Oh, I'd like to have a win on the international circuit. I wouldn't really mind what it was, but uh, that would be a nice kind of 
step forward in in a, a racing career. So yeah, anything on the ITU circuit. Your favorite pro athlete? Oh, cheapers. You should be careful now because you've lots of friends in Girona. Yeah, I do. Gosh. Um, hmm. Maybe I'll go outside of the sport, will I? <laughs> favorite pro athlete. Gosh. Um Ooh, I can't answer it. You can pick a male and a female if that makes it any easier. Oh God. Okay. Um, I'm really struggling. I've actually drawn a blank on every pro athlete ever to have grace planet. Um okay, so pick your favorite two Irish elite athletes and get yourself okay. into lots of trouble. Okay, favorite male elite athletes. What are we basing this on though? Like their personality. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go favorite male elite. Irish athletes oh I know who I'm going to go for actually outside of sport Brendan Boyce because he's cracking his sense of humor is 10 out of 10 so I'm going to go for him um and then female athlete oh Kelly Harrington she's just a sweetheart yeah there my two Emma Porter did our notes for this show you obviously live with Emma I do. Um, she said please inquire into how many bank accounts Alva currently has open it may not be suitable for actual podcast content but please ask her the question look I've lived in a lot of different countries I just have bank accounts everywhere <laughs> now Joanne mind there's absolutely nothing in any of them <laughs> but they're there you know look, you never know when you might need to use them are you sure you're not an international spy yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, even if it was, I wouldn't tell you. So I guess you'll never know. Of the following musical instruments, which ones are your favourite to play? The tin whistle, the flute, the fiddle, the guitar or the bowron? Guitar. Because you can sing along with it. Like, <laughs> Are you a good singer? No, okay. but I enjoy it. That's the main thing. What name have you given your bike? Oh, I haven't because Emma calls me a psycho for not naming it. I, I just don't name it. I'm sorry. I know you name yours too, but I just... I have four bikes and they're all named. Well, I'm delighted for you, but I don't have one. <laughs> All the cool kids have their bikes named. Even Hillary Hughes has names for her bike. I know, but Joanne, we opened up this podcast with, yeah, all the cool kids and me are in Girona. So if we're going to make this full circle, there you go. Well, I'm not in Girona. I might have to go for a visit. Emma Porter wants to know, if you were a chocolate bar, what chocolate bar would you be? Oh, such a deep question. Oh, well, so truth be told, she told me she was asking this question and obviously I saw it on the Instagram post so I did have time to think however it took me a while to get there Joanne not gonna lie I thought I was a curly whirly and Emma was like nah you're not scatterbrained enough to be a curly whirly which I was a little bit offended by but also kind of like okay fair enough like maybe I'm a little bit too logical to be a curly whirly but then I thought about what I might be and I'm a stracciatella lint chocolate ball do you know the ones I mean yum yeah 10 out of 10 so Emma was like, oh, that works, actually, because like you're a little bit different. You know, you bite in and you don't really know what you're going to get. And I was like, oh, there we go. That's what I am. But also on the other side of that, like I'm extremely plain and vanilla. So like maybe I'm just a plain white chocolate ball. I don't know. But I think the stracciatella might just like, you know, that might maybe, I don't know, tackle my humor, my sense of humor or something. So, yeah, I'm a stracciatella white chocolate lint ball. That is a good answer. I hope she likes it. She does. I actually got her one from the shop the other day. So maybe that's why she approved <laughs> moving on Emma also mentions that um you cry when you watch other people achieve success in sport and apparently you're a nightmare to live with during the Olympics because you just cried every day all day yeah finish lines are my weakness honest to god if I have a weakness it's finish lines like I don't even need to know the athlete like if I know their story or I don't know what it is but I just cry like I just get so happy for people to achieve things and that sounds so ridiculous but like yeah I don't know I I think I like place myself in their shoes and I'm like wow if I had come through that and I crossed that line I can imagine how I would feel and it just makes me really emotional and yeah I've cried for lots of friends and lots of people that I've never met before but um the Olympics was a tough time for me <laughs> did you need counseling after the Olympics yeah the come down was was tough <laughs> true story <laughs> and now to bring it back to Alva again I'm going to have to ask you because you mentioned other people's achievements what's your proudest achievement oh my proudest achievement wow that's a big question um I felt we had to bring the podcast back around to some sense of normality yeah sorry okay my proudest achievement hmm 
maybe he, maybe coming through everything I've come through um, with a kind of a, a strong head and strong body that I know will kind of take me through the rest of my life. Like I think results and everything and Palmares, whatever, they're great, whatever. But like once they're done, they're done. Um, I think it's super important that you can put skills in place um, that you can like bring forward in your life with you. And yeah, maybe my proudest moment is that I am confident in my ability to take on life. I love it. That's a great answer. We're going to go into some of our audience questions before we finish up. So Duathlon Dearmid on Instagram asks, which sport does Alva prefer, cycle racing versus triathlon? And do you like Girona? Yes, I do like Girona. Um, It's wonderful. Girona is really hard to put into words. Like it's just a weird place um, in the most endearing kind of way. Um, Time moves differently here to every other place I've ever been in my life. Um, and the city is just very, very special. So definitely yes is the answer to that. And in terms of triathlon versus cycling, 100% triathlon. Cycling was was just a little adventure this year um, to improve triathlon. It's kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. So I think it probably got the last laugh there. But uh, yeah, triathlon for sure is the answer. Eleanor Condon from Triathlon Ireland would like to know, is she your bestie? Of course, Eleanor. Who else? Did she look after you in Fort Aventura? She did. Oh my God. I put her through... So whatever about your mother and your father going through the absolute hell when their child crashes, Eleanor was beside herself. And I am I would like to issue an official apology in public to Eleanor. And I'm very sorry that it crashed. And I'm very sorry that she had to go through that. But I'm also very thankful that she was there because, yeah, she was like a second mommy to me. So, yeah. Thanks, Eleanor. Are you excited about your future in the sport? Yeah, I am. Like, I'm not getting any younger. I mean, nobody is. But um, I'm excited to build off the platform training wise that I was able to put in place this year and come back stronger and hopefully get even stronger like move that level on again but yes I I just love I love triathlon like I love the sport and what it can give and how it makes you feel and it just excites me that I still have a future in the sport and that I can probably go down a ton of different avenues within the sport whatever area I want to go down and I'd probably enjoy it because I just get a lot from the sport and the sport has given me so much that, you know, it would only be it'd only be fair and right to kind of give back to it. So I am excited for the future of it, for sure. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It was a pleasure to chat and laugh with you uh, along the last, uh, I think it's been nearly an hour of a show at this point. Great fun altogether. And I wish you every success for the recovery and recuperation and the festive period of fun and also for your season in 2023 thank you it was lovely to chat to you and see you at the next awards joanne if not before thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed this episode you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com if you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast be sure to check them out on our website or wherever you get your podcasts With 95 episodes of the show now available, there's a huge back catalogue of inspiration and motivation to choose from. Don't forget you can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please email me on trytalkingsportgmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.